Thank you all for coming, and please uh, join me in welcoming Hunter Hill. Well, good evening. It's great to be with you all. Um, you know, as I was preparing some of my remarks that I wanted to share with you all, it dawned on me that for the last year, uh, I think many of you know I'm, I'm running for governor, and so I've got my my stump speech down pat. I don't have to even think about it, but uh, this is a new environment in which I'm getting to share. I'm going to share different stories than I'm, than I'm candidly used to. I've, obviously, I've been in uh, dozens of Bible studies through the years, uh, so I'm very comfortable sharing my faith, um, but some of the specifics tonight. So bear with me if I'm a little choppy along the way, but uh, appreciate you all coming and spending some time uh, with us tonight. And I want to take you back to uh, November of 2007. It was my third tour in Afghanistan. Um, I had done two combat tours with the 101st Airborne Division. I uh, gotten out, got into the real estate business, and then I got called back in for my third tour, and it was unexpected. But on this particular day, I was mentoring and training the Afghan National Police, and we had a 13-man American team, and we had three vehicles, uh, three up-armored Humvees. Uh, I was in the lead vehicle. I had a Mark 19 on the top of my vehicle, which is an automatic grenade launcher. The vehicle behind me uh, had a 50 caliber machine gun on the back, on the top of it. And then the third vehicle had a uh, M240 on the top of it. So we had lots of firepower, uh, but we had to mentor and train the Afghan National Police every day. So we left the safe zone, and then we would go outside of the wire and go into where the Afghans were. There was a rocket that came in because the Taliban liked to do that every now and then. And a little bit more information, the Canadians ran our sector. It was a, it was a NATO mission, so the, the, member, the members of NATO would alternate who was in charge of the sector. So I was the senior American military officer as a captain on this outpost run by Canadians. Well, the Canadian rules of engagement basically said, if they shoot at you, run. And uh, what that tends to do is embolden the enemy, and they shoot at you more because they're not going to pay for it. So we did something differently. I told my team from the outset, uh, we're not going to break contact every time we get shot at. We've got more firepower, and we've got, you know, up arm we have armored vehicles. So we would do battle drills to prepare if, in case we were engaged. Uh, and so, you know, we were as ready as one could be. Uh, so we went to take it to the enemy on that particular day, and they drew us out, and we were in an ambush from both sides of the road. Small arms fire and RPGs. So we did what we had rehearsed. We pulled over and began to engage the enemy and worked to eliminate the threat. We were not predicting that uh, it would be coming from both sides. By the way, Afghans aren't that smart. You never do a two-sided ambush because you can shoot each other in the process. But, but anyway, it's, it's, uh, it's still dangerous for us to be a part of. Um, something came over the radio, and um, my third vehicle said, um, you know, we're down, we're sh we've been hit. And what happened was uh, an RPG had gone through the engine block, but we didn't know that at that point. But I circled my first vehicle around, and then we pushed him out of the kill zone and, and moved back to the, to the safe area. The, the, our firepower and our, and our training had eliminated the threat so that we could do that. Um, we got back to our base and looked at the damage. Nobody was hurt, nobody was injured. We looked and literally saw daylight through the engine block. It was an armored piercing round that hit the engine block. Uh, 
If it had been one meter to the right, it would have gone through the up-armored Humvee door, killing the, uh, the driver and the tank commander, the person that drives shotgun. If it had been a high-explosive RPG round that hit in the same exact place, it would have killed the gunner uh, operating the M240 because of the explosion and the shrapnel would have, would have hit him in the face. So the Lord had protected us. And it was a great feeling for us. Obviously, we were shaken up. Um, it was one of a couple of um, contacts that we were in throughout our tour. And, you know, every morning before we left the wire, I had a volunteer prayer with my team. It was volunteer because, you know, Constitution of the United States, the Establishment Clause, we're not allowed to make our soldiers pray with us. Um, but it was volunteer, and every soldier prayed with us uh, prayed with, with me and the leaders uh, before we went out, and the Lord had provided protection for us. That's what I believe. That's what the members of my team believed. But it wasn't the first time that I had trusted in the Lord and that he had uh, protected us. I'd uh, done m multiple tours, and not once had we lost uh, a soldier uh, during those tours, and we were very blessed for that. Um, but it was also not the first time in my life, uh, non-military, that I was trusting in the Lord. I'd given my life to, to the Lord in the eighth grade. Um, there's a, some stories around that, but the bottom line is, is that's when I remember committing my life to the Lord and trying to uh, grow in my faith daily, have fellowship with other men, other believers, read the Bible, pray, etc. Um, and over the course of my life, and that's the reason I'm standing up here today in front of you, was because of that decision that I made in eighth grade because the cumulative effect of the opportunities that were presented themselves to me over the course of my life have made, or, you know, allow me to stand before you and share some of my thoughts and my experiences, but they would not have happened had I not made that decision in the eighth grade. And I think all of you are here tonight because you're like every other man, feel the call, the desire to make an impact, to be remembered, to um, you know, make a difference and the reality is, is that for me, Proverbs 3, uh, 5, and 6 is very real. And that's my goal to share with you tonight, is to say that trusting in the Lord is how you make an impact. And I could, I could memorize it, but I don't want to mess it up, so I'm going to read it to you. Proverbs 3, 5, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. And the reason that's so impactful, there's, you know, I believe this to be truth, the whole scriptures. But there are some that stand out. And that one sort of encompasses, for me, uh, the whole trajectory of the gospel story uh, and the Bible itself. Which is that we are not going to get it right. You know, we're gonna, we've got great talents, gifts, and abilities in this room. But at the end of the day, we're not fully equipped to always make the right choices and to deliver results. And even when we trust in the Lord, there's going to be some errors made. But the long view is, is that you look back on the trajectory of your life and you find that the Lord was faithful because he makes promises and he always delivers. So my, my whole point in sharing you with that, that story is that if you want to make, make an impact and to deliver results, uh, then put your trust in the Lord. And, you know, one of the things for me in life, through having some success in sports at a young age and then going to West Point and then being in the Army, is 
leadership has always been something important to me, something that I've pursued, something that I try to get better at. And I have no doubt that whatever success I've had in leadership is a direct, is a direct result in my belief and understanding in the scriptures. And I want to share with you a couple of uh, examples of, of what I mean by that. So leadership to me is about moving a diverse group of people towards a common goal. So it doesn't matter you know, if you're talking about business or faith, you know, whether you're running a ministry, whether you're running your family. Leadership is about moving a diverse group of people towards a common goal. And so that breaks down into categories. What's the common goal? That's vision. That's as a leader when you're casting a vision and you're identifying and establishing what is the common goal that we're moving towards. Um, the next phase of leadership is assimilation. It's about getting others in the organization to believe in the vision that you've cast because you can't move it, especially a diverse group of people, towards anything unless they also believe in where you're taking them. And the final part is implementation. It's about moving people. Leadership is about moving people from where they are to where you want them to go. Um, and so you're not going to do that unless you first assimilate the group and, and unless you first cast that vision. But then in everything in life, there's always change, there, whether it's internal to the organization or whether it's external in ways that you can't predict. Change always implements itself uh, into your pursuit of that common goal. And leaders are able to recast the vision when that happens, you know, re reset the goal, reassimilate the team, and then keep moving people forward. And so for me as a, as a Christian as well, in all of the different aspects of my life, whether it's been in the military or, or business or even now in politics and now I've got a young family, you're constantly adjusting, but those truisms uh, don't change. And there's a couple of things that make a great leader. Character, competence, confidence, and care. So character is what is what is informed. There's different value sets in every organization, but the values that, that, that have um, been very important for me in life come from my Christian faith. It's about um, selfless service, which comes from humility. It's about grit, which is perseverance, which um, gives you the, it, it's uh, when, you, when you're not willing to quit, okay, and then there's courage along the way. These are character traits that for me are important as, I, as I've conducted leadership. And the reason I'm sharing this with y'all is because no matter where you are in life, you're going to lead. Um, the second one is competence. No matter what you're doing in life, you have to be good at it. That's about the only thing that you're in charge of. How hard are you going to work? How hard are you going to study and, uh, and become good at your craft? All the rest to me are informed incredibly by uh, a belief system. And for me, that belief system is in um, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then finally is confidence. When I talk about trusting in the Lord from everything that I've done, whether it was to play um, college football or to go overseas multiple times, I recognized that I couldn't do it alone. But it gave me great confidence to go into those battles, whether they were sports or literal battle, that I didn't have to be in charge. I didn't have to have all the skills required to, to be effective. I could put my faith and confidence in the Lord, so putting trust in God actually gave me greater confidence to do the mission that I was called to do. And then finally is care. When, you, when you're trying to lead people, there's two cares that are going to be felt from that team. One, do you care about the organization that you're leading? And two, do you care about the men or the women that you're leading? 
It's palpable. It can be felt. And that, again, is informed in my life by the faith that I have. But just know that you're never really going to be able to move the needle as a leader unless it's palpable that you care about the organization that you're leading, that you care about achieving the goals that you're articulating, and that you care about the people that you're ultimately moving forward. So those have been very instructive um, for me. And what gives me great confidence as well is Ephesians 2.10. Because as a Christian, I believe that, again, I mentioned earlier the trajectory of my life. When I was having doubts in my 20s, should I make a career in the Army or should I get out? Um, once I was into real estate, should I keep staying in real estate? Do I feel called to, to run for office, as I, as I definitely did after my third tour in Afghanistan? And all in those decisions, should I marry this girl that I'm dating? Should I not? Um, what's it going to be like to be a dad? All these things that we're all going through in our 20s and 30s, um, can, you can have such great confidence to pursue the next phase, knowing that uh, you can trust in the Lord, that you don't have to lean on in, entirely your own understanding. You know, in that all in all your ways you can you can trust in the Lord and He will make straight your paths. And because of that, you go to Ephesians 2:10 and you find that for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. He's already got great things for each of us, and so when we trust in Him. It gives us great freedom to pursue life, to pursue the talents, gifts, and abilities that he's given us, and then things will open up for you. And, um, and, and one more verse. This was on the inside of my West Point class ring, which, doggone it, the thing was stolen a couple years ago. But anyway, um, somebody stole my class ring. Can you believe that? Um, 2 Timothy 1.7, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. So that God's not asking us as we pursue the things that come across in our life to do it in fear or weakness, but actually in boldness and in confidence. That's, that's what's very important along the way. So I'm about to wrap up, but I would say this, and I want to share, uh, these are words from Jesus uh, himself. When he said, when you might have questions about, okay, well, how do I put my trust in the Lord? What does that look like? He lays out a very clear uh, definition of that. Uh, these are his words, and it's John 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. He reiterates, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So talk about confidence. 
That is the Lord speaking directly to us that says, if you want to add value, if you want to make a difference, if you want to make a lasting impact, be connected to the vine, be connected to Jesus, because we are his workmanship, and we, we were created in Christ, and he prepared good works for us in advance to do, but we often lose sight of it. And instead of looking up and out on the horizon, we're looking down at our, our feet, you know, and not getting anything done because we're looking within ourselves and uh, we don't have enough to take it to the next level. But when we trust in the Lord, big things happen and big game-changing things can occur in our life and then he's going to use us to do great things. So I'm going to leave it at that. I look forward uh, to your questions and thank you so much for inviting me. Anybody got any questions? Yes. Uh, so you mentioned the seeds, and character is the one that stands out to me the most. Uh, oftentimes, a biblical character doesn't align with the cultural character, and you work in politics. It's, you know, I, I know that doesn't align a lot. So how do you reconcile those two aspects of character when kind of biblical characters were pushed aside culturally? Well, you, uh, he said, in case you couldn't hear him, that sometimes he doesn't think that biblical character aligns with the cultural character. Um, and I, that may be the case. Um, I, I don't know that I agree. Um, I think that people um, want to see um, people that have strong character, and I think that people that believe in the Lord and, and root their character in Scripture and in faith and in, in, in Christ... Um, end up having a, a very attractive character that people want, um, to, that people want to, to, to gravitate to. That's a belief I have. I guess um, we'll find out in, in May if that's true. Um, I'm kidding. That's the election. But the bottom line is, is <laughs> I think, that, um, I think that, that people like biblical character. I think sometimes when you start to flesh out uh, biblical scripture and the philosophies that fall out from believing in the Lord, um, and then those things start to percolate up and turn into policy ideas, that's when culture really um, recoils at that. But I think the character piece, um, folks are, are, are attracted to that side. There's an old saying that there are, there are no atheists in foxholes. <laughs> Sure, you heard that one before. Oh, yeah. Um, can you just give just kind of a quick example where uh, someone under your command, you saw their faith evolve in Afghanistan or in wartime, or say they, they, they were just driven to their knees in the moment where they realized they needed something more than they could possibly give themselves? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I would start with myself. Um, I'm sh see, and the reason I can't point to a lot of other people is I didn't really know these guys that well until we were overseas. Uh, my first rifle platoon, I did take that over in June of 01. Uh, so I, did, I joined a peacetime army in, uh, May of, in May of 2000, but that changed rapidly. And I did get to know some, uh, some, some great people that I think the experience changed them. But I can just speak for myself. I mean, when you're confronted with your own mortality, at the age of 24, um, 
you know, it, it, it's changing. I already was into that environment with a very strong faith, but there's no doubt that my faith grew in my first tour in Afghanistan significantly again uh, in, in Iraq. Uh, and then it was a, and my, my biggest faith, faith change was the curveball I got after two combat tours, beginning a successful life in real estate, and then getting a letter uh, calling me back. You know, when I felt like I had wrestled with the Lord significantly on, should I make a career out of the Army? Uh, no, I'm going to decide to get out. Um, and then getting jerked back in made me feel like, did I do something wrong? You know, did I make the wrong choice? And should I then now make a career of it? All these things that look so complex at the time, uh, so simple now, you know, that, that the Lord was guiding a lot of these things and, and putting me on a different path. But um, being confronted with your mortality and, and for folks here that haven't served, look, that's cancer. That these are the issues of life that, that non-military people face and uh, when your parents die too young or when your sibling dies. I mean, these are real things um, that make us all hopefully get focused on the Lord. Hunter, thanks for being here. You touched on just in that answer and I wanted to kind of maybe dig a little bit deeper on one specific side. It's often been said that you either had a, had a problem are currently in the midst of a problem or looking towards a problem. And that can also translate to transitions. And I think it's interesting, you went through a lot of transitions. We as young men in this room are going through many different transitions. We're maybe at a currently place where we're looking at a new job. We're currently looking to be engaged. We're currently looking for the birth of the first child. How did you really find um, comfort in leaning in the word, leaning in your faith in those transitions? And what is the, I mean, some of those probably weren't as great. You said they were, you know, when you go back 20,000 feet, they all make sense, but at the time they don't. How, looking back, can you look to yourself then and see how those transitions really played out and what you dealt with internally? Yeah, I mean, I wish I'd had more discipline uh, in those transitions uh, to be more, you know, grounded in the Word or, or have a, a group I could lean on. Um, and I'm sure I'd, I know I did in, in many of those, but, um, you know, it's hard. Again, what, the, the biggest thing to do, I would say, is to, is to look up and look out. Um, if you're talking about relationship transitions or you're talking about job transitions, um, the, the best thing I can say is even when, because a lot of the things we worry about is, am I going to make money? Am I going to be successful? Am I going to find the right woman? Um, you know, am I going to have a family? These kinds of things. And the bottom line is, when you have those things, when you start to achieve success, when you start to find a, a mate that you love, and then you begin to have kids, those problems are gone, but then there's always new ones. And so you've got to constantly just be grounded in faith and have the perspective uh, that it's short term and to have, um, have peace in that. But the, the, the shortest answer I can say is, is to get back into the Word and get into a, group, a fellowship group and to pray. Those are the, those are the three foundational fundamentals that when I asked, I will tell you this, when I was in eighth grade, I became a Christian, and about a year later, it made no, it made no difference in my life. Um, and I went back to a spiritual mentor I had, and I said, how do you deepen your faith outside of the Easter and the Christmas and the, the, the Christian retreats? And he said, you got to have fellowship with other men. I was doing that. you got to pray, and I was doing that. 
uh, and you got to read the Bible. And I had never done that. I was raised Catholic, and we just didn't do that very much. So that was a game changer for me to get into the Scripture, and it all popped and came alive for me. Um, and so that's, you know, it's hard to make time for it, but get into the Word. It's very important. I applaud you for running for this big office, but inevitably, when you're successful at politics, what you're doing is you're going to be serving people you don't know, and you're inevitably giving up time and attention to people close to you, like your family and your children. How are you going to cope or kind of prepare for that, that shift? Yeah, you know, I, I, I've told people this many times. When I had the vision to uh, want to run, uh, Shannon did not. Uh, that... Uh, that <laughs> That took some time to get her on board with that, and um, but you know I th think about all the pastors that we have in our in our in our country in our state. Um, the, the same dynamic is true to 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 feel a calling and to do something. Whether you're starting a ministry, you got to get that buy-in from your from your spouse and your family. There's no there's never a good time to do something big. Whether y'all are thinking of starting a business, um, running for office, starting a ministry. Um, tomorrow is boring, you know, it's just, it, tomorrow will keep being tomorrow. And you've got to take advantage of it. I will tell you that um, there was a lot of reasons why now was the right time for us. Um, Lord willing, we get the opportunity to lead and serve the state. There's going to be a new set of challenges with, you know, on the family dynamic and making sure that we give the time that, that we need for my wife and children. But uh, we'll deal with that. It's all good. Yeah, so as somebody who, like, I'm talking about myself, like, I, I uh, get involved, you know, in public policy, and I read articles and, and listen to people, whether they agree with me or whether they're challenging my ideas, as a believer, one of the things I struggle with is always ensuring that, you know, first I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, and therefore that influences, you know, how I judge these policies. So I'm, somewhat, I'm wondering, I'm asking you, you know, how do you deal with that struggle? Like what solutions are you have to always ensure that first, you know, you're, you're a follower of Christ, and therefore that influences you know, the way you read these policies, not the opposite. The question was about reconciling his faith with uh, policy issues that he may agree with or disagree with, and um, that's foundational. I'm, I'm in a great spot right now in this environment where I, I'm very clear about how I make decisions. You know, I got two foundational principles, my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and my belief in the founding principles of our country, Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. I believe in what our founders, you know, fought to, to create in terms of a more limited government, uh, less taxes, more freedom, those kinds of things. So the, the policies that I'm championing are, are quite congruent with my faith and my belief on what's best for, you know, the state and the country. When you get into an environment where you have to compromise or you have to do something differently, well, you, 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 it, to me it's about leadership. You cast that vision, you, you try to create that momentum of a, diver, of a diverse group of people towards that common goal. I don't, I don't want to dive too much in the policy piece, but I can tell you this. Um, as a Christian and as a uh, Republican, I get very frustrated and tired of... Of, of Democrats in particular suggesting that they've cornered the market on uh, compassion and wanting to help people because I believe um, Christians and, and Republicans 
um, can better help lift people out of their brokenness uh, than policies that are big government oriented. Anybody else? Hey, I'm going to ask you a question. How did, how did you make the decision, sort of ultimately, <coughs> politics over staying in real estate? Was it just something that you, you just realized you had to do? Was it a big decision? I mean, I know, I know it's something you've been doing for a while and taking through, but how did you kind of come to that? You know, this is a way that I can be influenced as opposed to starting a church or something like that. How did you sort of come to that? Yeah, well, it wasn't about. Uh, me getting influence. It was about a, yeah, it, it happened in Afghanistan for me where I just really saw that uh, the government, well, so everybody in here is in business, right? If you're, if you make investments in business and it doesn't deliver results, you're going to immediately be made aware of that because there's not going to be a return. So you're either going to have to change your strategy or um, choose to stop investing money in it. Well, only in the government do you bring in resources that are not connected to whether you're delivering results or not. Your revenues are not tied to whether you're delivering results. So it gives you the ability to keep putting money behind things that, that don't deliver results. And I got frustrated with that enough that instead of doing part-time legislative work and running a business, it, it was a concept of you can't do anything well halfway. Um, and I wanted to go all in on trying to um, set a new direction for, for the state and um, if folks elect me to lead and serve I'm ready if they don't I'm gonna go back into business so I've, again it's that I have complete trust in the Lord I'm doing the right thing uh, the results are not up to me and um, I'm, I'm confident either way so it's exciting uh, looking back if you got to tell yourself something at 25 30 years old what are maybe two things you wish now that you know, you would have known back in 25. Yeah, so I'm up here telling you things that I've learned. So, I mean, the biggest one would be I, I could have trusted in the Lord more. Look, I didn't, I didn't do this thing perfectly by any stretch of the imagination. I had doubts. I had um, uncertainty along the way. So I think I could have done better at what I'm telling you all to do. My hope is, is that you'll, you'll learn from where I didn't do it as well. Um, and the second thing would be, um, I don't know. I, I mean, that's the, the biggest thing is, is I wanted to share with y'all where I felt like I could have done a little better. Um, I'd have to give some thought to number two. I mean, let me, let me flesh that out a little bit. So if I'd have kept reading, um, the way we bear much fruit is to, is to obey the commands of the Lord. And... Sometimes, you know, you don't always want to be obedient. Um, and so that's a hard message for anybody, especially single men, which I, I would think is most of the room. Um, so if you, can, if you can actually trust in God and do what he says, I think that the long view, it turns out better. One of my biggest struggles, probably similar for a lot of the guys here, is pride. That's my arguments with my wife and with my pride. And is you've obviously had a successful career if you're elected or whatnot, that's probably going to be something you're going to be challenged with, and, you know, controlling an ego and whatnot. Have you thought about how, how to approach that or how have you dealt with pride so far? Well, look, it was hard for me to even think about, you know, running. I, I, I've, 
running for office is, is the mix of the most arrogant thing in the world and the most humble thing in the world. Because by putting yourself out there to suggest that you should be elected, there's some, there's some natural um, you know, cockiness to that, I would guess. That's not how I feel. Mine is more rooted in the, in the humble, um, uh, I, I'm wanting to be a servant. But the reality is it doesn't matter what I think. I understand you, you're putting yourself out there. Um, but it's the same thing with business. When you decide you want to start a business, are you going to be worried that you're telling everybody that were your coworkers or the business owner that you used to work for that you're better than them? You can't worry about that. And I think that um, trusting in the Lord gives people both great humility and great confidence. And that's what my biggest takeaway was in all of this is, is by trusting in the Lord, in humility, in, in the fear of God, and in the trusting that he's got a better path for me, there's great confidence that ensues from that because, um, you know, you're not scared of anything. And if you fall, it, it gives you the room to fail. And that's very important in life to uh, have the confidence to pursue. If you get too cocky, the Lord has a very good way of bringing you back down to earth. So um, I'm not as worried about that, but you've got to put good people around you, especially if you're in a position of leadership, to pray for you and hold you accountable. That's very important to have a, an accountability group. What's uh, one thing you do today in your personal life that you'd like to do less of and one thing that you'd like to do more of? Well, I can tell you one thing I'd like to do less of is make fundraising calls. Uh, <laughs> Um, but yeah um, one thing I'd like to do less of uh, you know I, it's, it's not a great example I, I'm running for an office and I get passionate about policy and governing uh, but you can't do that until you do a political campaign I don't love political campaigns but you got to do the one to get to the other um, so I look forward to doing less of that. Um, and then what I want to do more of, candidly, is, is, is practice what I'm preaching right now. I need to be spending more time uh, in quiet time and, um, and reading the Bible. But, uh, so I, gotta, I, should, I should do more of that. What's that? A failure, a failure you had, but looking back on it, it's been a positive impact on your life. Failure, I mean, I had a, uh, I don't know that I call it a failure, um, but I look back on it and think, you know, I shouldn't have gotten out of the real estate business when I did in 2010. I don't know that it's a failure. It was just a, I felt like I was doing the right thing, and, 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 I, and I, in hindsight, I don't feel like I was. Another failure was I, I, um, I was a punt returner in college, which is sort of this, and I did not start on offense or defense. So I was like all guy on the sideline doing nothing and then going right into the show, and it's very intense, uh, and I fumbled a punt on national TV. And I didn't like doing that. Um, but, uh, I mean, that's a, that's a, but, you know, uh, that's, those are a couple of failures off the top of my head. I'm going to take two more questions. Okay. 
fresh out of questions. So when you were overseas in Afghanistan, did you ever get to meet civilians who were believers? And if so, did that ever change, like how you viewed your relationship personally and also in the church today? You know, I didn't know uh, if I met, because there's a language barrier. I remember in Iraq specifically, in Afghanistan, um, running into people that that I had a connection to, like um, you just felt like you you loved the person, the way they were smiling at you, or the joy that they had inside of them. I don't know even if it was a, a co-spiritual thing. They very, very well may have been, uh, you know, practicing uh, Muslims. But the, the, the point is, is that you saw some wonderful people. You saw a human element that's, uh, that certainly crosses over an ability to communicate verbally with. Um, and, and that was special. And you, of course, on the flip side of that, you saw some evil as well. But, um, you know, people are, people are special. They all have the spark of the Creator, whether they uh, are professing Christians or not. And I think that was um, uh, a connection that I experienced. Well, hey, listen, I. Grateful to be with you all and spend some time, and I'll be hanging around if you want to ask any more questions. Thank you.